Good morning, church. Kids, you are dismissed to head back to Kids Church if you want to take part in that. While the kids are leaving, I will introduce myself. I am J.T. Aldridge, and I serve here in Normandale as one of the elders. And if elder is not a familiar term to you, then just simply think of it as pastor. At Normandale, we have seven elders. We have three of the seven elders are vocational elders, and that's their full-time job. And that's Pastor Mason and Pastor Brent and Pastor Nick. And yeah, before you grab me right when I step down and correct me, I know Pastor Nick is part-time, and I know he has a full-time teaching job, but we consider him a vocational elder here at Normandale. And the other four elders are non-vocational, so we have other jobs. And those four are John Harris and Casey Culver and Adam Covington and me. So you can think of it simply as I'm, I'm a volunteer pastor here. My full-time job is designing and building streets all around the Fort Worth area so that when you and I go shopping and we drive to work and we go out on the weekends, we don't spend too much of our time sitting in the traffic congestion or rattling our teeth out on the potholes. God has given me just the perfect gifts and, and strengths to be an engineer, and I love pouring myself out into my work every day. Which, which reminds me of another man who pours himself into his work every day. This man has set 55 MLE world records, and he currently holds 46 world records. He has competed in his sports world championship 16 times, and he holds 13 titles in the last 14 years. So I hope you're starting to try to think and guess who I'm talking about, especially you sports enthusiasts out there. You're trying to think. You're going through like Michael Jordan, no, uh, LeBron or Tom Brady, no. Maybe it's uh, like maybe it's Tiger Woods, no. The world records that throws you off of that one. Maybe uh, what about oh Michael Phelps? That's a pretty good guess. And you're getting warmer. I'm gonna give you one last hint, and it'll give it all away who this guy is. So just last month, this man ate 75 hot dogs in 10 minutes. All right, his name is Joey Chestnut. And at the, at the 4th of July, uh, Nathan's World Hot Dog Eating Competition, he downed 75 hot dogs in 10 minutes. And he beat, he set a new world record. He beat his old world record of 74 that he set a couple years ago. And... I'm telling you, if you haven't watched this spectacle, you really should check it out. I watched it at the 4th of July, and it's, it's just a, it's the craziest thing that you've ever seen. It's like uh, there's, a, there's an announcer, and he's like over the top. He introduces the competitors in a, this poetic but really over-the-top way, and during the competition, he's like stomping his foot, and he's getting into it. Um, and, and like I said, this competition, 10 minutes and it's over. And Joey, he blows everybody away. Uh, nobody comes close to eating as many hot dogs as Joey does. So uh, this, this, when I watched this thing, it was perhaps the most amazing thing and like the most disgusting thing I've ever seen in my life. And, you know, you'd understand if you see it. I mean, they're, they're just... 
I don't know, it's just pretty disgusting. It's one of those things, when you watch it, though, you can't take your eyes off of it. It's so amazing what he can do in 10 minutes and how fast he can eat those hot dogs. You can't take your eyes off of it. So, you know, regardless of what you think about Joey's sport of major league eating or whether you even would consider major league eating a sport, uh, you have to admit that Joey has... Uh, a steadfast allegiance to eating tons of food in a ridiculously short amount of time. So literally, he gains 24 pounds during the 10-minute competition. At that point, I just turned, I looked at my wife, Carrie, and I was like, and you're giving me a hard time about these 24 pounds in 10 years? And this guy does it in 10 minutes. So Kind of like Joey has pledged his allegiance to eating tons of hot dogs, uh, God calls us to pledge our allegiance to him. Not to Joey, but to God. Right? God calls us to pledge our allegiance to him. And today we continue our series on the fruit of the Spirit by looking at faithfulness. So go ahead and take your copy of God's Word and open it up to Galatians chapter 5. And while you're turning there, I'll give you just a really brief, high-level overview of Galatians. So the, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Galatians, and he wrote it to the church in Galatia. And that was, that's a territory, an area, Galatia, and it's modern-day Turkey. And so there's a couple of themes, there's several themes that run throughout the book of Galatians. We're going to look at two of them today. The one theme that we're going to look at is that that uh, believers have been set free from sin. Therefore, um, they shouldn't return to the law of Moses and the Jewish rituals for salvation. Right? Instead, the believer should have faith in Jesus. All right? That's a theme throughout Galatians. And the other theme that we're going to take a look at is that although believers have been set free... They shouldn't use that freedom to sin. Instead, they should use that freedom to live by the Spirit. So these themes are, are seen in chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. And I'm going to read chapter 5, verse 5 for us. But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. So believers are waiting and hoping for righteousness, to be set free from sin and guilt. And how do we wait? The text tells us by relying on the Spirit. And so these, this verse is leading us up to verses 16 through 26, and I'm going to read that for us now in chapter 5. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So over the past eight weeks or so this summer, we've been diving deeply and taking a deep look at the fruits of the Spirit listed in verses 22 and 23. So by now you know that a fruit is something that is, that is seen in others as a result of their living by the Spirit. So in these verses that I just read, Paul has given us specific instructions for how to live as Christians. Paul is calling us to have faith, rely on the Spirit, avoid sin, and embody or develop faithfulness among these other spirits in our life. So what is faithfulness then? Faithfulness is a steadfast allegiance to whatever one is bound to despite the circumstances. So Paul calls faithfulness a fruit of the Spirit because it's something that you can see in others as a result of their belief or their faith. But first, I want to make a distinction between faith and faithfulness because they're not exactly the same thing. I know they're very closely linked, but they're not the same. In fact, when I first started, even started to think about and studying faithfulness, one of my first thoughts is, oh, that's a person who's full of faith, somebody who just is, has tons of faith. But that's not exactly what faithfulness is. I love the definition of faith in the Bible. It's in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, and it says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we cannot see. So faith is trusting something to be true even when we can't see it. And faithfulness is quite simply an ongoing allegiance to that belief that we have. So faith, for the Christian, faith is trusting that salvation is through Jesus Christ alone, even though we can't see it. And faithfulness is our ongoing actions as a result of that belief that we have. So faithfulness is like a marathon, right? It's like a marathon runner who sets a steady pace and then pushes through the wall when they hit that wall. The Christian life is a marathon, not a sprint. And the ending of the Christian life is just as beginning, just as important as the beginning. And the only thing that gets you there to the end is faithfulness. So as Eugene Peterson has said, the life of a disciple is a long obedience in the same direction. So it's not always glamorous, but that's what faithfulness is. Likewise, Paul is instructing us to pledge our allegiance to God. And so look at verse 25 there at the end of chapter 5. Look back at verse 25. And Paul further, he encourages us in this. 
Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So that's the command for us to to obey, right? To to seek faithfulness, to have a steadfast allegiance to our God, which in practical terms means to obey his commands. Now there's a story in the Bible in which faithfulness is displayed for us, and it's in Genesis chapter 6. So turn over to Genesis chapter 6. We're going to look at the story of Noah. In verses 9 through 22, chapter 6, here we go. Noah, as you know, is a man who built the famous ark. So the Bible tells us this. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all the people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Make a roof for it and finish the ark to within 18 inches of the top. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will build the ark, you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. So, this is a story, right, about Noah, who received this command from God, and we don't know what that command looked like, we're not told, you know, I was thinking, just imagining, maybe he heard God speaking from a burning bush, but then I thought, no, that one's already been used before, and, you know, maybe he heard God speaking from a cloud, but, you know, that's been used before, maybe he, maybe, maybe God scrolled it, like, on a stone tablet or something, I don't know, but. No, and that one's, that's been used before too. You know, maybe it was in a dream. That one's been used a lot. I don't know. We don't know how God shared this message or how God told Noah to build the ark. But, but Noah received this command, right? And then God gives him the dimensions of the ark and tells him, tells him how to build it. And really, this is just a colossal engineering feat. I mean, in my mind, like, I can just go off into this forever and, like, just think about how cool it would have been to, to build this awesome, epic ship. Uh, and then, you know, God sends these animals to Noah, and again, you know, I can't imagine, I mean, I try to imagine, like, what did that look like? It says two of every kind of animal will come to Noah to, to be loaded on this ship, and uh, well, one thing I do know is like that, there was two, those were like the best animals, I'm sure. Those were the best animals that were alive because they were the ones to stay alive, right? 
And I do know this, you can check it afterwards, after the service today, that I do know that those, those animals that got off the ark, they, they came to the Fort Worth Zoo. And they're at the Fort Worth Zoo now, because the Fort Worth has the number one zoo in the country, we know that. So I do know that, you can check that later, after the sermon, uh, just fact check that. But, but you know, we, we don't know, we don't know what, what all of that looked like, right? Um, but, but we know one thing that we can see in verse 22, in response to God's prompting, we see Noah's faithfulness. In verse 22, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. So I want to tell you a story about a woman who met and married her true love, and they began an adventure of a lifetime. They adopted two young children, and she followed her husband with its two children over to Okinawa, Japan, in military service. And they just had the life of dreams. They lived in Okinawa for a few years. They moved back to the States and Texas. And then one day, on her husband's drive into work, his vehicle was swept off the road by floodwaters, and he didn't survive. And she was left with these two young children alone. But eventually, she met another man, and they got married, and they started to build a new life of their own, and they added children to their legacy, and things seemed to be going okay, until one day, they got the fateful news that her second husband was diagnosed with cancer, and six months later, he was gone. And there she was, alone again. And there were other hardships that she endured in her life. She experienced the heartbreak of a miscarriage, and she witnessed the death of one of her son-in-laws. But despite these hardships in her life, I consider my mom to be the equivalent of Job in her faithfulness to the Lord. My mom's life did not follow the course that she thought it would, that she would have expected it to, right? That she would have planned out. But I've never heard my mom complain, and I've never seen her faithfulness waver, her faithfulness in the Lord. I've never seen it waver, despite all those hardships in her life. And, and in fact, I, I consider it a huge blessing in my life to witness that for my mom. In fact, if one of those tragedies hadn't happened, I wouldn't even be here today, right? So I consider it just a huge blessing to see and witness and watch my mom's faithfulness. And so her, her faithfulness is, is the perfect example of our definition, a steadfast allegiance to whatever one is bound to. So... It's not a simple thing to be faithful. And just imagine all that Noah had to overcome. The, the determination and the perseverance, the faithfulness that Noah had to have to overcome. Just imagine the size of the ark. Just the size alone. It was about the size of the Titanic. So if you've seen the movie, that would give you an idea of the scale. And if you haven't seen the movie, it's about the size of our building doubled. So if you're standing in the parking lot looking at our building and you look at it, and then you added another one on the end, like 
That's about how big the ark was. I mean, this thing was huge. Like I said earlier, it's a colossal feat of engineering just to build it. And we think we, that it took Noah about 50 to 100 years, and I know that's a wide range, to build the ark, but 50 to 100 years, just imagine that. 50 years is longer than most careers nowadays, and Noah spent at least that long building this ark. And also, let me tell you, all those trees that it took, all 14,000 or so, more or less, trees, did not chop themselves down by themselves. Right? And they did not saw themselves up into boards by themselves. It was hard work. And, and we can also imagine Noah likely endured decades of ridicule. So thinking about those hardships, those Noah's hardships and, and my mom's hardships, it begins to display a problem in my mind. And the problem is this, that I don't have the ability to be faithful on my own, and neither do you, and neither does my mom, and neither did Noah. Catch this. Noah, let's look back at verse number, verse 9. Noah, this is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and get this, and he walked with God. The only way Noah was able to be faithful is because he walked with God, right? Did you get that? God gave him the ability to be faithful. And does that sound familiar? Think about Galatians chapter 5, verse 25. Paul instructed us to walk in step with the Spirit, right? To walk with the Spirit. My mom didn't have the ability to be faithful to the Lord on her own. She walks with the Spirit, God tells us, just like he did for Noah, Noah walked with God, and God's calling us to walk with the Spirit. That's the only way that we have the ability to be faithful. I know that on my own, I'm selfish, and I seek the sins, uh, the pleasures of my flesh. So I know, for example, I would rather sleep late on Sunday morning than get up and attend my life group or come to church and worship the Lord with other believers. On my own, that's what I would rather do. I would rather listen to a good book on my commute into work instead of listening to the Bible or spending time in prayer. I would rather spend all of our income on a a zero-turn lawnmower and a new four-wheeler and a tractor and and a new kitchen and... A, uh, an elk hunt in Wyoming or Montana or somewhere. I would love to spend our, our income on that on my own instead of giving an offering from our income that could be used to spread the gospel all over the world. So on my own, I start feeling like it's hopeless. It's hopeless that I can ever live up to God's righteousness. And the truth is, it is hopeless without Jesus. But the awesome gift of God is that he doesn't leave us helpless and full of sin like he did uh, for the people in Noah's generation. He doesn't leave us helpless. He meets us right where we are. Noah was part of God's salvation plan, the plan that God had from the very beginning. And just like God saved Noah through the ark, 
The center of God's salvation plan for us is Jesus, God's own son. Jesus came to live out perfect faithfulness in our place by living a perfect, sinless life, willingly dying a cruel death on the cross and rising again to defeat death and sin. All of this to fulfill God's salvation plan. He faithfully fulfilled his mission to rescue sinners from their unfaithfulness. Therefore, all who believe in him will be credited with his faithfulness. Right? Think about that. The faithfulness of Jesus. Jesus was perfectly faithful to the Father. And we believe in him. We'll be credited with that same faithfulness. God promises to give us the Holy Spirit as a down payment for that future life in eternity, the future inheritance that we have with God. So the question to you right now is this. Have you pledged your allegiance to Jesus? Have you trusted in him and rested in his finished work? You can respond today. As the band comes up, I'm going to ask you to keep your seat and bow your head. And the band's just going to play quietly for a little while. I'm going to give you time to respond. So you go ahead and start. You can start responding anytime, even while I'm talking. And in a minute, I'm going to give you time. I'm going to be quiet. And you can respond. But go ahead and bow your head. You might be feeling a little bit low on faithfulness this morning. Maybe your walk doesn't match your talk. Maybe your faith is strong, but your actions as a result are less than faithful. Maybe you've begun to worry about sending your kids back to school in this COVID age instead of trusting God to protect you and your family. Maybe you've become depressed because life just isn't the same as it once was instead of finding joy in the Lord. Or maybe you're angry with, the, angry with the government or angry because people won't wear their masks or, or you're angry at the racist attitudes in our country or whatever it is that you're angry with, you're angry instead of seeking peace with others. If you're feeling low on faithfulness this morning, I encourage you to have a conversation with God about that. You can fall on your knees right there at your seat you can come up here to the stage and kneel down and pray. And that's what this time is for right now, to respond any way that you feel. You can respond right there at home as well. Get on the same page as God and agree with him about your sin. Go ahead and make your move whenever you're ready. And if you've never put your faith in Jesus as your Savior, you can do that right now. You can do that sitting right at your seat, or we have elders here today, Pastor Mason, Adam, Casey's here. I'll be down front when we're singing, and we would love to talk to you about salvation, answer your questions, or simply pray with you if, you've wanted to, if you're ready and you want to make that decision right now. You, you make the move. If you're ready to respond to God's 
plan for your salvation, you're ready to do that now, here's what I want you to do. First, admit your sin to God. Admit that you need a savior and acknowledge that you can't save yourself. Admit your need for God. Second, you want to tell God that you believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, God's own Son, and that you want to accept and receive his gift of forgiveness. And if you've done those two things this morning, then lastly, I want you to tell somebody, I want you to proclaim your faith in Jesus I want you to stand up and tell somebody right now. Tell somebody in your family. Tell somebody in this room. If you've done that, tell somebody. This is your opportunity to respond. Do it now and don't wait.